prayed for? On the depths of his heart, what he was praying for for you and I today is unity. I want us to look at some verses of Scripture here that we have covered. Verse 1 through number, verse number 6. Verse 1, Paul calls the church to remember. He uses that word again, therefore. Because of everything that I've said in really the first three chapters of this writing of this letter. Therefore, having taught you all of this. And what he has taught to this point, maybe for those that have not been in the Wednesday evening, he has taught doctrine, he has taught precept, and he has taught belief. Those are the subject matters of chapter 1 through 3. Wednesday, we introduced in our time in here the subject of diversity. We in this room are all different, but that doesn't mean we cannot have unity. And Paul now is going to change his teaching. He's going to change his letter from teaching doctrine and precept and belief. And now he's going to be talking about duty. He's going to be talking about practice. He's going to be talking about not belief, but behavior. He's gone over with them the things that they should believe and the doctrines that are theirs. Now he's going to say, this is how it should affect our lives. Notice verse number one, if you would. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. We've covered this, so I'll try to be brief. The word vocation, a calling or a career, a person's life choice. The calling that we received of God, first of all, was our calling to salvation. And once we are saved, and we know that in Antioch, we covered it last Sunday in Sunday school, it was first at Antioch that the church people were called Christians. So he's talking about this this walk that we have, this this, uh, job that we have, this calling that we have. Now notice this word, worthy. And we covered this on Wednesday night. The illustration is this. Put everything that Christ has done on a scale on this side. We're not talking about that fictitious scale of weighing out Christ, uh, what Christ has done with our sin for salvation. But we put all of what he's done on the scale on this side. It tips the scale. And then we take everything that we have done and we put it on this side. How much, and I don't know, church, I don't know that we can ever balance. I don't know that we could ever. It ought to be our goal. But when this word worthy is used, when he says walk worthy of your vocation, Paul is telling them, do your best to balance the scale. And as we move from that, we're talking together tonight, this word unity meaning agreement. Now, real quick, let's talk about this. What are some things that in this teaching so far in Ephesians that we have seen unity in? We have seen first unity, God's grace unites the Trinity. God's grace unites the Trinity. All three of the Trinity, the Father chose us for salvation, the Son redeemed us with His blood, the Holy Spirit then seals us until the day of redemption. All three parts of the Godhead coming together. And there is unity there. What else uh, have we seen? We've seen the grace that, uh, God's grace that is given for the Jew and the Gentile to be brought together in unity. The prejudice erased. The racism, so to speak, is done away with. We see God, the triune God, in God's grace unity. 
We see the reactions of man between the Jew and the Gentile uh, together in one body in the church. And then the third thing we see is God's grace and salvation reconciles or brings unity between our souls and our Heavenly Father. So all three of those pieces are unity. Now, I want you to turn to several verses. First of all tonight, if you would, go to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, and let's start with chapter 1. And I, I want to show you the importance in Scripture, what, what the, uh, the leading us into this, this thought tonight as Paul is talking about unity together in God's church. Philippians chapter 1 and uh, look at verse, come down to verse 27. And only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit. Now notice in our text in Ephesians, it says the spirit of unity. That's an important phrase. We'll get to it a little bit later on. That ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together, and here's the one purpose, for the sake of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. Now, if you would, a page over, and uh, rather than turn back and forth and back and forth, let's come over to uh, Philippians chapter 2 and look beginning in verse number 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy. What is his joy? What is his joy? He tells us that ye may be what? Like-minded. Fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Now if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And you find your place there, look at verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We can go into several other passages tonight. I won't for the sake of our time. Paul is intent in all of his writing. He is intent on getting this thought through to all of his readers. Important to Paul was the subject of church unity. Over and over again in all of his epistles, he writes that. In our text tonight, in verse number 3, we are called to keep or to maintain the unity of the church. Now, the fact is that we're not always unified. We're not always on the same page. We're not always pulling together like God wants us to be. Often we each have our own agenda. And that's fine when we ought to have our personal agenda for ourselves. But sometimes, sometimes you set your personal agenda aside for the good of the church is what Paul is teaching. Notice, if you would, number one, the challenges that I want us to see in this tonight. There's three parts to it. Look at this, the words of his plea. Uh, Paul is pleading with the... He's seen it happen before. 
He saw it happen even before his conversion when Christianity was just starting up, when there were just being people who were disciples to John and then disciples to Christ. He has seen what can happen when there's division among believers now. So we're looking at the words of the plea. Looking at our text, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's dissect that out just a little bit. Endeavoring. That endeavoring means hasty or zealous. Endeavoring is an action. Endeavoring means to keep, to aim for, to seek. It means to move toward a chosen goal. Now, this is a holy zeal that demands constant attention. Let me ask you this. How long do you look away from something before there's potential for a major accident? I don't know how they'll ever get this problem solved. I'll give you two illustrations tonight. I don't know what they'll ever do to get the distracted driving stopped. I was going picking up some supplies for the meeting on Tuesday. I was doing this on Friday. And there was a car to my left in the fast lane, and it kept coming over in my lane and going back, in my lane and going back. And, you know, usually you can see an arm up or the phone to the ear or something, but I couldn't see any of that. And this person was, again, just a few inches. And I had slowed down and slowed. I I didn't want to go any slower. And I blew my horn, and it jerked, and the car went back over in their lane. And when we got to the stoplight, I looked over in the car and the person had a telephone and a computer. It would be interesting to know tonight how many people in 2019 have been killed by distracted driving. Now you said ooh and ah to that. Let me tell you this. My wife was, and I cannot remember who it was that had asked her to pray for a family. Mom was recently working in the house. This has happened just in the last two weeks. She had a set of twins. They were two years old. And she was working at the kitchen sink. And suddenly she noticed it was quiet. If you haven't been around two-year-old children in a while, something's wrong if it's quiet. But she said, this is abnormally quiet, and fear struck her heart. And she walked into another room next to her, which had glass doors that went out to a concrete deck patio, which went into an in-ground swimming pool. Both children were dead in the swimming pool. He said, Preacher, why are you telling us that? Here's what I want you to get from those two illustrations is this. In a split second. Now, when we look at that word endeavoring, you say, Preacher, it doesn't have anything to do with children dying or people driving distracted. The word endeavoring is trying to get us to see this. Be vigilant. Be watching. Look for. Endeavor. It's not going to. Listen, church unity is not going to just happen. It's not natural. Because we are, we still have the old man in us. We're being created into a new man. We have a little bit of that nature in us, and it likes to stand up and voice itself. 
when we, when we hear of taxation changes, I don't think of how it's going to affect you. I think of how it's going to affect who? Me. You're the same way. When there's something that is going to happen or is happening, your thought, first thought naturally, is not how does this affect others, it's how does it affect me? Because we are, let's just be honest, we're all me-oriented. And so Paul says unity within the structure of God's institution of the church, it's not a given. Endeavoring. Now notice the next word, endeavoring to keep. Now, if you're keeping something, do you know what that means? You have it. You can't keep something you don't have. Paul is saying endeavoring to keep. You have this unity. It's your place. You must keep that unity. Now, it doesn't say, Paul doesn't say this. In your church, create unity. He says, keep that unity. Now, Paul calls it this, the unity in the Spirit. Notice again, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Where do we get unity? If we already have it, if it's something that we're trying to keep, where do we get it? Where do you take 140 people who are all different? And they're diverse. And everybody has their favorite food and their favorite color and their favorite this. Where do you get the unity, preacher? In the Spirit. I had a phone call this last week talking to a, a dear preacher friend. And he told me this. He said, preacher, would you pray for my boy? And he has grown up in a preacher's home. He said, there is no fruit of salvation in his life. He claims that there is, but there's no fruit of it. He said, we as a family have done what we could to bring up the conversation, and we have point blank asked him, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you sure that you're saved? And he said, my son refuses to answer that question when I ask it or his mother asks it. He's a preacher last year. He came over for a while. His mom asked him the question. He wouldn't answer it. And he left angry that would even ask him again. And he said, when he left, my wife, through tears, told me, I don't think my son is saved. Because nothing in my spirit bears witness with his spirit. Unity is not something we can manufacture or create. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now notice as he continues on the unity of the Spirit. The unity, the agreement, the common ground. And that's what the Spirit bears witness of. And then we're to maintain that unity in the bond of peace. What is bond? We sing the song occasionally. I told you most of my childhood life when we would have the Lord's Supper, we would sing the song, Blessed be the tie that bind. When he says the 
unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one thing and only one thing tonight that I can say of our church when it comes to the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. The only way Landmark Baptist Church can have unity is through the Spirit and if there is a bond of peace. What is the bond? What is the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love? I'm going to tell you it's this. Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. God Himself. It's a strange thing, strange conversation to have on Mother's Day, but we had a conversation today, a what-if conversation. And here was the what-if. What if my mom and dad had never come to know Christ as personal Savior? And one of the boys said, well, you know, if Nan and Papa hadn't gotten saved, then we probably wouldn't be here. The first thing they said is, you know, we, we, we would probably be at the racetrack on Sunday afternoons watching people go round and round and round in circles. And then one of them said, you know, if man and pop hadn't gotten saved, mom and dad probably wouldn't have met each other. They wouldn't be our parents. And then it went deeper, and I don't want to go any deeper than that. But God reached down in Columbus, Indiana, and He touched two lives. My mother's first, and then my father's. That has touched my life. And that has touched my family's life. But somewhere through the process... That has also touched your lives. And through the years, that has touched hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. I wouldn't have, I, Dan Hoffman and I would have never met. I, I, I wasn't going to any Braves games, I wouldn't have been in Richmond. But we're brothers in Christ. I have a love for Dan tonight. Why? What do we have in common? Christ. Endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity in the bond. It ties us all together, that bond. That's the words of the plea. Now I want you to look at the witness of the plea. The church is no greater testimony than when we are united together in a united front. Back to an illustration. Saw the church, one of the churches in West Virginia that was virtually, the interior was destroyed. The walls, the structure, the, uh, the brick and, and, and block were not destroyed. But the whole church was destroyed. There was about six foot of water in the church auditorium. I watched this on the national news. I know Brother Fox and Brother Kevin Bartlett. Uh, Kevin sent me a lot of information about it. It was about an hour from where. And our in-laws our, that live in Beckley traveled over multiple times. The kids from their school and church would go over and help. National News showed this. People came to look when the water receded. And people began to come in and the pews had to go and the carpet had to go. And 
One of the most sickening things that you would see is a little skid steer loader come into an auditorium like ours and just start pushing the rubble. And the people in that church said, God's in control of this. They didn't have insurance, not flood insurance like they needed. Wasn't even available, if I'm understanding right. And the national media, I believe it was the National Weather Channel, covered the story. And they did the before and the after. The weatherman, the reporter that covered this, said this of the church, Never in my life have I seen a group of people come together like these people did. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. They didn't just come together in the church. They went into the, into the community. When their houses needed fixed, they were out distributing food and water and going into the homes of widows and elderly and young single mothers. And they were going, the church was going into the, and you know what the community saw? My sister-in-law talked to me about it for a while, having gone down and labored there for several days in a row. She said the people in the community were in awe because the church came together. Now, there's no greater testimony in the world than a church that functions in unity. And there's no greater slander against the cause of Christ than a church, a church family whose members are at odds with each other. Turn to John chapter 17, if you would. So Paul said over and over and over and over, and you get the message there, in most of his epistles and most of his writings, he says, you got to love one another. you got to be of one mind. you got to be of one spirit. you got to be of one heart. The church has to be unified, endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Now, listen, Jesus also says it's important. John chapter 17, I so enjoy reading through. I love to listen to people pray, but I love to read through how Christ prayed. John chapter 17. Or let's look at, let me, you stay there. Let me read John chapter 13, verse 35. It says this, by, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you love one another. Now in chapter 17 and verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Read the next phrase with me that they may be one as we are. Does that amaze you at all? I would think Christ would have a few more things on His mind than unity. What He's getting ready to experience, no human being has ever experienced before. This very possibly is a last prayer. Those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You know who that is? That's us tonight. Those that believe because of the word being passed 
from one to another. Verse 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be one in us. That the world may believe. That's the purpose of unity. For Jesus' sake. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them. That they may be one even as we are one. He states that again. I in them and thou in me. That they might be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. It's a pretty impressive prayer that Christ gives on our part, but the whole theme through the entire prayer. Father, unite them. Bond them, band them together. Now, we're different in many, many ways, as you can imagine, physically, intellectually, economically, spiritually, all of these areas, there are diversities with us, and God knows that. But to compete against the unity... To strive to have that unity, to endeavor as the scripture to complete that unity. There's something that we have to have. Jesus has mentioned it and Paul has mentioned it. And it's this, the spirit. The spirit. I'm going to ask you to turn a few more places tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 13. With all of our differences, we have common ground. 1 Corinthians 12 verse number 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. Now notice the unity there. Jew, Gentile, bond or free. We're of one Spirit, baptized into one body. Not have you turn there, but Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9 says this. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. When the unity, when the Spirit, and the unity is broken, I'm going to tell you this tonight, it's seldom over doctrine. It's seldom over doctrine. And it's seldom over anything spiritual. When the spirit of unity is broken, I find it's this. Most of the time, it's broken over self. And when we're at war with one another, we lose our testimony. Remember what Christ prayed for? That we may be one, and what was the purpose? So that the world may know. The plea, the words of the plea, the witness of the plea. And let's finish out tonight with the wisdom of the plea. Walking in unity does not mean that we always have the same ideas about all the same issues. We, we're going to have differences of opinion. Walking in unity does not mean that we will always think exactly alike. Walking in unity does not mean we lose our individualism. Look at the 12 disciples tonight. There were 12 of them. And when we talk about disciples, we talk about a group of 12. But if you know and you study behind their character and who they were, they were as different of daylight and dark. 
How, how does a doctor and an ignorant fisherman get along? Just saying. There are 12 men who are bound together. It's not that we have to settle aside our individualism. But it does mean that we're marked by a common purpose. And it does mean that the Lord gives His clear direction that we put aside our personal opinions and we walk together for one purpose. The glory of the Lord. One purpose. That the world may see Christ through our unity. Nothing shows the world that we're different from them. Like unity. You know, in the world, time after time after time, throughout history, there have been treaties signed, which are called peace treaties. The reality is this. Peace treaties don't work. Peace treaties fail. You say, well, preacher, it lasts for two months. Yeah, and then what happened? It failed. Why is it that the world can't find a place of unity. I'm going to answer this a deep question tonight. Why can't the world live in unity? Because the world doesn't have the Spirit. What separates you and I tonight? It doesn't make us any better. But what separates us from the world? Why is it that God can take people from Indiana and Missouri and Michigan, West Virginia, heaven's sakes? He can take all these people and band them together by the Spirit. And the world can generate every peace treaty they want to, but without the Spirit, endeavoring to keep the Spirit of unity in the bond of peace. 17th century archbishop, and I'm not going to try to read it or say it in Latin in which he wrote it, but here was his statement. In necessary things, unity. In uncertain things, liberty. And in everything, charity. Let me do that again. In necessary things, unity. In uncertain things, liberty. And in everything, charity. There are some truths tonight. There are some truths that we have to defend death even at the cost of unity doctrinal truths must be defended even at the cost of unity there are some things that are open for some liberty but the Bible is very clear God inspired the entire thing. But we've looked at two people tonight. We've looked at Paul. And how many times in his writing he said, Church, listen, if you keep anything, keep your unity. So that the world can see Christ. And Jesus, get the picture, on his knees in the garden. The disciples are asleep. Jesus is facing the cross. But he gets on his knees or on his face to pray. I don't know for sure what his position was. But he's speaking to his heavenly father. 
And he speaks about the Dowdies and the Fergusons and the Youngs, the Hicksons, and I can go all the way around the room. If I didn't call your name, don't get mad. Have the spirit of unity. Just to illustrate. But he brings us all together. If there's anything that we need to keep above anything else, we need to keep that spirit of unity that draws every one of us as diverse people into a body of Christ. Jesus was praying for all of those whose names I mentioned and those who I didn't. And he said, Father, unite them as we are. Make them one as we are. And Jesus, when the cross is before him, is praying for this one subject matter. Unity. Now, next Sunday evening, when we begin back here again, he begins to show us how to. I like that. Not when just somebody just says, this is the way it should be. But Paul says, this is the way it should be. And this is how to make it happen. And we'll look at that as we further our study next Sunday evening. Stand and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Jesus prayed to you. And he said, 